All right, welcome once again to Political as Heck, podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I am Corey Astle, and here with me, Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, Corey, not much. How are you? Great. I'm doing really good. All right, so we have some official entrants into the race to replace Chris Stewart. Here's the names. Greg Hughes, Becky Edwards, Bruce Huff, and January Walker. Let's start with the last one first. January well, I think there's Randy. two or three other names as well. Are you intentionally leaving them off? Now, if they are, I don't know who they are. So Yeah, they're, they're people I don't know who they are either. But. All right, so January, let's say real quick, she ran, she ran in a primary against Burgess Owens. Didn't raise a penny and got like zero votes. So well, did she run as a Republican? Because she's filed this time as U- United Utah, hasn't she? She ran against. I'm pretty sure she ran. Yeah, she. You're right. She ran as a purple. Her her signs were purple and stuff. So she probably ran as an independent candidate or whatever. You know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. But United Utah, they have. I, I think. I honestly, I think they have like 300 or less party members statewide who are registered as United Utah. They get so much press and so much coverage. They've never won an election. I'm not convinced that they ever will win an election, but the Tribune loves to report about them. It's 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 a total mystery to me. Well, she's got 20 votes at least. Yeah. All right, then um, Becky Edwards, we've already discussed. Yeah. So let's talk about Bruce Huff for a second. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Huff is a great guy. I've known him for at least 20 years. Um, he's kind of an insider's insider. He's actually Utah's national committee man right now on the um, on the uh, National Republican Committee (NRC). So each state gets to have a party chair and then a national committee man, and national, national committee woman. So he goes to all of the RNC meetings, and he has been for um, you know the last probably at least eight to ten years. I think he was off for a minute and then back on again. Um, he's talked about running for Congress for a while. I remember before Mia Love ran um when that new district was created i remember him calling me and telling me he was seriously considering running for that so that so he's been thinking about running for congress for a long time um he's got a lot of money a lot of personal wealth um he was um i think ceo of nutraceuticals like greg hughes he does not live in the district um but you know could probably buy a house in the district without blinking Uh, Probably most interesting about uh, Bruce Huff is he is the father of Derek and Juliana Huff, who were both, you know, uh, on Dancing with the Stars a decade ago. And Juliana made the, was it the remake of Footloose a couple of years ago? Mm. But, you know, his kids are celebrities and that, you know, might get him a few votes, I guess. All right. So then uh, the, the one who we, I think we can all agree is the front runner, Greg Hughes. Do you think it's his race to lose? I do. I do for, I think Bruce and uh, Becky are kind of running in the same lane. So they'll split that, you know, non far right conservative vote. Greg Hughes ran for governor, uh, finished third uh, back in 2020. He's former legislator. He was speaker of the house for four years, I think. Um, Pretty well known. He's, uh, you know, anyone who's done anything has a few enemies. He, there was some scandal associated with his time on the UTA board And there was some more scandal with his involvement in the inland port. And so, you know, I I don't think his candidacy will will be without controversy. He's also a registered lobbyist right now. If you look on Utah Disclosure's website, you'll see he's got six or seven clients that he lobbies for. And so I'm not sure, you know, if his opponents go after him and say, 
Washington DC has enough lobbyists and Greg Hughes wants to make sure there's one more. I, I don't know how he answers those charges, but all that being said, I do think he's the front runner. Yeah. And I mean, also to a point too, he did very well in those counties when he ran for governor. He, he did extremely well in Washington County, which is, you know, at least a quarter of this second congressional district. However, I do think that that has to be taken with a grain of salt. And that is his running mate for Lieutenant Governor is, was Victor Iverson and Iverson is a Washington County commissioner. And so some of those votes, many of those votes may have been a hat tip to Iverson because they, you know, Greg was the only gubernatorial candidate maybe ever who had picked an LG candidate from, from St. George. So. Yeah, that could be, maybe I'm a little skeptical though, that anyone has any idea who a Lieutenant governor candidate. But I think in your own (laughs) County where he, where you voted for him for County commissioner, and then you turn around and see him on the ballot, you know, so I think outside of Washington County, I would agree, you know, would have played a big role. Yeah, that's a good point. So now the big question, Todd, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to. <laughs> Are you going to be a candidate? Yeah, I was really gung-ho. Um, the more I've thought about it, I'm not sure that the timing is right for me. I have been in trial like every day for the past week. I've got to be in trial through Wednesday, which is a filing deadline. Um, but I'm I'm leaning against it right now. I was leaning for it, you know, the day after Chris announced uh, that he was going to be retiring. So, um, yeah, I've been waiting for this for a long time, but I, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to do it this time. So thanks for asking, though. I've had a lot of people encourage me to run, which is always flattering and nice. Including to- me, of course. I'm a fan. <laughs> Thank but you. We did just break some news here on the political as heck podcast. i'm leaning against it i mean um i i'm not planning on filing but there are three more days i could change my mind so all right so i'll i'll be disappointed with other folks but this also has led to another development which is the election dates have now been moved so instead of the municipal primary happening on august 15th it's now going to happen on september 5th the day after labor day that's not a great choice and then the actual general election instead of November 7th is going to be November 21st, two days before Thanksgiving. That's not a good choice. But yes. What's going uh, on, Todd? So um, the if if so, Chris Stewart resigned a couple of weeks. T- so when <laughs> let me go back to I think it was 2018 when Jason Chaffetz resigned, he resigned early enough that we were able to do his special primary on the same day as the municipal primaries. These are the city council races. And then we did the general election for that seat on the same day as the municipal general election. That worked out great. But um, Jason announced in April that he would be stepping down on May 15th. And Stewart announced at the end of May that he'd be stepping down in September. So if we were to hold a special, if we were to have the municipal elections on August 15th, and then we were to hold a special election on September 5th, just for CD2, um, it, it would be, conf- I think it'd be very confusing to voters. It would also cost the state probably an extra million dollars to do a second election three weeks later. So there is some, uh, and we need 45 days under federal law to send out the ballots between b- before both the primary and the general election. And so you'd be sending out ballots and then turning around, sending out ballots, and you'd have four elections there in three or four months. And so I think there's a lot of logic to doing, you know, keeping them together. And I will say the holiday schedule sounds horrendous, but remember, people will receive these ballots at least two weeks before Labor Day 
and at least two weeks before Thanksgiving. And so all they have to do, then in fact, in most counties, they don't even have to stick a stamp on them. All they have to do is fill in their ballot, sign it and put it back in their mailbox. And you can do that around Labor Day. I said Memorial Day. You can do that around Labor Day. You can do that around Thanksgiving. So I know the sound, the sound, the timing sounds horrific, but considering that nine, I think most, the vast majority of Utahns vote by mail today. I don't think that is as big of a deal. And it's it's going to save the state millions of dollars and cause less confusion. That is a good point. And I mean, I don't think it, make, it makes any sense to not hold them on the same days. So yeah. I'm yeah. just saying two days before Thanksgiving, granted, yes, they get the ballots two weeks before, but a lot of people do wait until the last day or two to put it in. And of course, people are going to be traveling starting Friday before. Yeah. So that's like what, five days before the election? Yeah, but most people are back by Tuesday. So if they want, I mean, they could still, as long as, actually, no. No, no, they're leaving before Thanksgiving. Oh, okay, before Thanksgiving. Yeah, it has to be postmarked before, I think, that if you're going to mail it, you have to mail it by that Monday. Um, But let let me tell you, um, Corey, that interesting thing about, the legislature is poised to do this on a special session on Wednesday. And again, this is our regular interim day, so we would have been there anyway, so no additional cost to the taxpayers for the special session. However, you know, you, you look at a, a race like Erin Mendenhall is in a race for re-election. So now her primary, well, they don't have a primary because Salt Lake does the ranked choice voting. So now her election cycle just got extended by three weeks, which will probably cost her campaign you know, fifty, hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars because she has to run those commercials for an extra three weeks. And you look at, um, well, I've heard rumors that you might be running for the Lehigh City Council. So now you're you're a newcomer. So now you have three extra weeks to knock on doors before the September fifth primary. And so what I think is fascinating is by kicking those back, what impact does that have in other races? So, for, for instance, Aaron Mendenhall she may draw a Republican contender now because they'll be thinking, hey, all of these Chris Stewart, all these Republicans in Salt, on those parts of Salt Lake City that are in the CD2, they'll be coming out to vote for Chris Stewart. Maybe they'll vote for me as well. So this will definitely affect voter turnout in some of those races. Again, this is only one-fourth of state. So only one-fourth of state will be voting for the Chris Stewart replacement. The other three-fourths will just be doing their regular thing. Anyways, I like to think about the crossover, what what impact this has on the other races. Definitely has an impact on me. So, yes, I am a candidate for Lehigh City Council. But Lehigh is not in the second congressional district, so it probably won't help your voter turnout. Yep. So I don't think it's going to affect voter turnout. It definitely affects the dates. And I was going to go on a cruise over Labor Day. And uh, now we're not. (laughs) So that's canceled. Um, But uh, anyway, I think we've probably covered this enough the only one last thing i do want to say though is uh you've got you got bob gerke of the salt lake tribune writing articles and telling democrats to change their registration to republican now i know he's done that a million times and they do that all the time jim debacus did it a couple of years ago but it's just i don't know i think it's a little bit you know cowardly and un, you know just sad well, I, I, I can see his point because he's not wrong. Whoever wins the CD2 primary will win in November. So I get the point. Here's the thing that I don't like. When I first got involved in the Utah Republican Party back in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, a lot of party conspiracy theorists would be saying, oh, we've got all these Democrats registering for as Republicans. And I'm sure there were, you know, that I'm sure there were a couple dozen of them back then. 
but I just thought a lot of that was just bunk and conspiracy theory, you know, just just balderdash. But now you actually see these campaigns where the Salt Lake Tribune and well, yeah, you know, they're openly doing it, and this yeah, is an opportunity. This is a yeah. this is a race where obviously no Democrat is going to win, and, and not you don't you're not losing anything really by changing your your registration no. this election. Now next election is different, okay, but this time you're not losing anything. And so they switch it so they can vote for Beckham. Well, you know, Derek Miller, I mean, sorry, Derek Kitchen, State Senator Garrett, Derek Kitchen, who now is in the Biden administration, he lost his primary to Jen Plum in uh, June of last year by just a couple hundred, less, I think less than 300 votes. And he told everyone, I'm, I heard that he thought it was because that more than that many Democrats who would have voted for him had registered Republican and they voted in the Republican primary instead. So I don't know. I mean, maybe they're right in there. themselves in the foot. So. <laughs> Davis County School District, your neck of the woods, has yes. banned the Bible in elementary and middle schools after a parent complained to the district about the vulgar and violent content that's inappropriate for children found in the Bible. In fact, this Let's be real. This parent was mad that Davis County School District banned a handful of pornographic books and found a way to achieve a little eye for an eye, get some a little bit of revenge by saying, well, how about the Bible? What about the Bible? And it does sound like the, the Book of Mormon is probably on the chopping block next. Todd, this is your school district. What's and my on? bill. I, I was the Senate sponsor of House Bill 364 two years ago. So you use the word book banning or banning books. I just want to clarify we're only talking about which books should be in a school library. This is a taxpayer funded library. These are kids, these are minors, all of them are minors. And so what happened was Representative Ken Ivory and I passed a bill in 2022 that basically said if a parent had a concern about a book in the library, they could ask for it to be reviewed. So nobody's banning books. Nobody's saying that parents can't buy their books for the kids. Nobody's saying that kids can't read these books. All they're saying is, what books do you want in a, in, a, in a children's library? And so before I agreed to floor sponsor this bill, I said, I want to see the books. I want to see the objectionable books. And, and I had a group of parents bring me uh, a half a dozen to a dozen books. They were all labeled Davis School District Library on the spine. So these were from my school district. And then they had put postmarks on the you know relevant pages. And what I read was shocking. I mean, this wasn't PG-13 content, Corey. This wasn't R-rated content. This was X-rated content, like three pages of every detail of a, of a sexual act and just book after book after book. And th these were words. They weren't pictures. Um, but, um, you know, it, it was shocking. Um, and I, I sat on the Senate floor because there was a group of fourth graders in the gallery watching. I said, what I read in these books would make Monica Lewinsky blush you know, to try to get my point across. Um, and so now people, so, so the bill only deals with what we call material sensitive to, uh, to minors, which is basically X-rated pornographic content. So when this parent, as a protest to our bill, you call it a book banning bill, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna agree with that description because it doesn't ban anything. Um, what, uh, so a parent asked for the Bible to be reviewed the committee said, we don't think the Bible violates the sensitive material content. However, in reviewing it, the Bible does have some material that may be inappropriate for, for elementary school kids and junior high kids. So we're going 
we're going to take it out of those libraries. We'll leave it in the high school libraries. Now, first of all, uh, and that decision is under appeal. And now either the same parent or some other parents who are probably liberals, they've asked for the Book of Mormon to be reviewed. I have read the Book of Mormon cover to cover many times. I've read the Bible cover to cover only one time for the Old Testament. But, um, you know, I, I understand what's in there. But to compare a book of scripture, and I would throw the Quran or, you know, any, any other book of scripture, to compare that to patently X-rated content is ridiculous. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. On the other hand, our 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 uh, law wasn't aimed at religious text. I think we could have a debate as to whether it's good or bad for religious text to be in a school library. Quite frankly, I'm surprised that those books were in a school library. Um, but I, I would also be shocked if any kid was going to a junior high library to read the Bible. <laughs> I just don't think that that's happening. I don't think teachers are making those assignments, certainly not for the Book of Mormon. And so I, I think I think that this is mostly uh, the, the media loves it because people have strong feelings on both sides. But but what's getting lost in this is our schools had some clearly pornographic material in in children's libraries and when I asked, you know, some of the districts about this, they said, hey, our, li our librarians don't have time to read every book. And so I still think the policy is completely appropriate for a parent to be able to ask, hey, can you review this book and make sure that's what you think, you know, we should have in the library? Yeah, I mean, one of these books, Gender Queer, is a graphic novel, which means it's basically a comic book. And it's a graphic novel about sexual discovery, particularly gay sexual discovery. Yeah, meaning it's a pornographic comic book. It is, and yeah, I okay. So, so I understand people don't want to don't want to see books removed from schools, but that is just not appropriate. And we're talking about the Bible. Look, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible, and I guess if it means that we have to ban the Bible from elementary schools then it's worth it to take all this other smut out. Yeah. I don't like it, but you know, whoever these parents are, they got their way. Okay. You got, you know, you got your little revenge, but what we're really trying to do is if you want to have pornographic comic books for your kids, you can buy it on Amazon anytime. Yep. Probably get it at the County library at any time. We don't want it in our public yeah. school libraries because we've talked about this before. If it's in a public school library, there is a, a reasonable assumption that it's approved for that age group. Yeah. And a pornographic comic, comic book is not approved uh, or should not be approved for that age group. That's all we're saying. We're not saying the book's banned from the state. No. Buy it anytime you want. Yeah. Probably go to the county library and look at it. Yeah. We're just... <laughs> And we're not burning them either. Let me just say, gender queer is often used as the 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 worst of the worst examples. I don't think that gender queer was in the Davis School District Library, but it has been in school libraries um, all across the country. I think it's probably it was at least in the Salt Lake um, District um, is what I've heard. But I, gender queer was not one of the books that was brought to me. I just want to be clear. Well, I don't want to. Maybe I'm ahead of myself, but I know that several of my friends can answer this. But I think that that was one of the ones that was banned in Alpine School District, or not banned, that was removed from schools removed. in Alpine yeah. School District. Yeah, because yeah, and I think that some of these books were coming in without maybe school administrators realizing, you know, what was sneaking in. And I think that that's part of the problem. Is you know that there is a a liberal agenda out there to 
to uh, you know immerse young kids in this LGBT um, lifestyle. And I think uh, I think a lot of the parents are like, hey, let let the kids be kids, leave them alone, and when they're adults, they can deal with those issues on their own terms. So my my final thought is this is not a tough call for eighty percent of parents, right? This this is a no brainer for eighty percent. So you do have a, a small contingent that's trying to push some of this stuff. And I'll tell you, my own kids, I want them to read, read whatever they want to read. And I guess if they really needed to, then we could talk about it. But I still don't think that, uh, that this, this type of stuff belongs in school. We have gone pretty long, but we do need to mention that for the first time in American history, a current president has sought the indictment of a former president. So the indictment levels 37 charges against President Trump that are related to his handling of classified documents, including, including uh, storing boxes of documents in random places in his Mar-a-Lago club, including his bathroom. 31 of the counts are for violating the Espionage Act for the willful retention of national defense information. So the other counts related to him failing to turn over documents and obstructing attempts by the Justice Department and FBI to obtain the documents. And it does seem like he's been quoted and, you know, there's solid evidence that he was trying to hide it or keep it away. And Trump is charged with also showing documents to people who don't have the security clearances necessary to see this these types of documents and, and telling them that they could have been declassified but by him while he was president, but he didn't. And so, but they remain top secrets. So here's my thoughts, Todd. First, I have two thoughts. On first glance, they seem to be contradictory, but I think once, once we really think about it, they're not contradictory at all. And the first is, I think that it's a national shame that this case was brought against President Trump. Matter of degrees or not, Hillary Clinton illegally held documents very similarly on a private server after she left office. And on Anthony Weiner's laptop. Her documents ended up on Anthony Weiner's laptop. That's right. Anthony Weiner's laptop. Also, Joe Biden possessed national security secrets that he kept in boxes in his garage with his Corvette. But it's locked. He said it was locked most of the time. So don't forget about that. That matters. Yeah. So, and they're not the only ones. We know the past presidents have been guilty of the same sorts of things and they were never prosecuted. So the left and this activist DOJ believes precedent and prosecutorial discretion have no place when it comes to Trump. They've been out for his blood for eight years plus at this point. They would not bring a case, a similar case against a Democrat, but they will do it against Trump. And so this marks a very sad turning point in American history that I think we will come to deeply regret. We're going to see, you know, once you cross that bridge, you can't recross it. And you know, this Biden weaponizing the Justice Department against political enemies, it's third world banana public republic kind of stuff, and it's outrageous. That's my first thought. My uh, second observation, it's clear that President Trump broke the law. It Hillary is. broke the law. It is. Biden Very broke clear. the law, and Trump clearly broke the law. And Mike Why Pence is he sharing national security secrets yeah. with visitors at his house? Why is he bragging about what he did as president or wanted to do with classified documents? Why does he have boxes of classified documents in his bathroom? Why did he try to hide them from authorities even when he knew that he had them illegally? There's a big, beautiful bathroom. None of that is okay. 
I think Hillary should have been prosecuted. I said so at the time. I'm saying so now. Trump shouldn't get a free pass from supporters just because it's him. I don't like it either way, not one bit. And so my last observation, Todd, is before I give you the, the, the mic, is that once again, what this shows is we need to move on. There are so many independents and Republicans who are witnessing this, and they're deciding right now that they will never support President Trump again, that he's too reckless, he's too chaotic, it's too crazy. Yes, Trump's political enemies will do everything they can inside or outside the law to take him down. It's outrageous. It's gone on for years, and it's, it's shameful. But why does he do so much of this? Why does he do so much to bring upon this you know, stuff upon himself by behaving so poorly? You know, we just can't risk another four years of Biden as president. Or worse, Todd, we can't risk President Kamala Harris rising when Joe Biden trips and breaks his hip and can no longer serve. Yeah, I I can't disagree with anything you just said on either point. Um, I will say this is clearly an unforced error from Trump, um, because not only did he take these documents, and it sounds like he boxed some of them himself, and the scope and magnitude is way, I mean, I think we're talking about tens of thousands of documents, if not at least thousands of documents here, um, but um, um but he was issued letters. He was issued subpoenas. He, I mean, they all but begged him to return them. And I think there's some evidence that he was telling his lawyers to tell him that everything had been returned. And so there is a, a, a certain willfulness there that I'm not sure that we saw. Well, I mean, um, Hillary Clinton used Bleachbit, which is a program to you know hard, wipe off her hard drives and things like that. So there was a willfulness there for her, at least to cover up the evidence. But um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I want to further state that they um, this seems like if they're going to go after him, it should be under the Presidential Records Act, which is kind of a toothless thing. But instead, they're filing charges under espionage, which is really designed for traitors to the country, people who were intending you know, to give secrets to the Russians or whatever. And clearly, that's not Trump. I mean, Trump is Trump. He, he liked the documents. He had a letter signed by Kim Jong-un and he wanted to keep it. He wanted to show it off to his friends. None of that's okay, but I don't think he was giving our nuclear codes to Vladimir Putin, Putin which is kind of the what the section that he's being prosecuted under has to do with. We're still waiting for a third potential indictment to come out of Georgia, where he told the secretary, then Secretary of State Brian Kemp that he just needed to find them of almost 11,000 votes so he could win, win the, the state there um, for president. So... Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. And that's why I'm I'm kind of leaning towards DeSantis, you know, just anyone, any rational person who can beat Biden, you know, please, and, and maybe serve for eight years. Um, we did see, I think it was the governor of Oklahoma come out yesterday and endorse uh, DeSantis. That's his first big, you know, Republican governor. And then Trump spoke at two um, Republican state conventions yesterday, I think North Carolina and Georgia. So I didn't hear what kind of response he got. But Right now, Trump is up by what thirty percent, so he's likely to be our Republican nominee. I mean, yeah, we'll see. He's still got a uh, that thirty percent means nothing. The question a lot is, can change in Iowa, now. He's win New Hampshire. Yeah, and a lot. So can let me change let me just uh, repeat myself one bit, yeah. and I apologize, but uh, but I feel like it's worth it. So Senator Lee came out really, really critical of the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland and President Biden over. This, uh, this decision to prosecute and seek an indictment. And I agree with Senator Mike Lee. 
And he didn't say the second part. And I don't, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Maybe he believes the same way I do, or maybe he doesn't. But this, this is outrageous. This is banana Republic stuff. Even so, President Trump took a lot of actions on his own volition that put him in a bad spot. And we cannot risk having President Biden win again. And Romney focused on the second part. He focused on, hey, Trump brought all of this on himself. So, yeah. So you have the two sides. I think both are not wrong. I think you can both be right at the the same time. I agree. For us to say that President Trump may be the only Republican in America that could lose to President Biden. Well, there's a a half a dozen to a dozen others that would easily beat him. I believe strongly. Yeah. Let's not take that risk. Well, and let's just break this down because the Republicans, well, a certain segment of Republicans are willing to forgive Trump of anything, but you can't win the presidential election without independence. So the five to 10 million independents who voted for uh, Biden instead of Trump in 2020, are they more likely to vote for Trump now that he's been indicted a second time or less likely to vote for Trump? And I think the obvious conclusion is for independents, they're less likely. So while this um, second indictment may make it more likely that Trump gets the Republican nomination, I think it, they, they make it very less likely that he wins. I, in fact, I think he could lose by a wider margin um, than, than he did in 2020. I, that, that's my fear. Yeah. All right. We'll have a lot more to say about this in the coming months. That's it, Todd. We're over time. All right. We'll see you next week. Thank you. See you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah.